0: Just like an actual toolbox, you need to have a variety of financial tools at your disposal so your retirement portfolio can handle any situation that comes your way. Scott Searles is a certified wealth strategist and the CEO of Skybox Asset Management. He can help you build a solid financial plan that will stand the test of time. This is the Retirement Toolbox Podcast. Well, hey there, and welcome to another Retirement Toolbox podcast. Walter Storholt with Scott Searles, financial advisor at Skybox Asset Management, serving you throughout greater Cleveland and in Bradenton, Florida, with uh, an office, though, in Strongsville, Ohio. You can find us online by going to skyboxasset.com. Scott brings more than 20 years of experience to the financial world each and every show. And, Scott, great to talk with you once again. How are you, sir?
1: I am doing well, Walter. Enjoying enjoying the summer. It's nice to... uh we got our new patio, and we're hanging out outside, so summer's my favorite time of the year, except it's been it been a really hot summer here.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, now we're recording this probably almost uh, a month before it'll actually post live to the world, Scott, but it'll still be summertime as we're hosting it, so I think everything you're saying, seeing as how we're probably in for a nice long summer summer this year everything will certainly still apply when people are uh, are listening to this but you're right it's been warm we hit uh, 99 the last couple of days uh, before taping this episode it it was just so hot that the air conditioner is having trouble keeping up you can hear it like seizing as it's like oh it's hot out here (laughs) i even think (laughs) i heard it it, i think i heard it talk a little bit and complain for a little while
1: (laughs) It was running constantly. And it, and it wasn't the AC. If it's anything like my house, it's it's probably someone in your family complaining that it's too hot in the house. So It's <laughs> usually me, so I'm probably just enough. hearing
0: myself complain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe.
0: Well, glad that you are enjoying it, and uh, we'll be complaining that it's too cold before long. So just enjoy the That's complaining true. of it being too hot for a little bit longer. Uh, we've got a great show on the way today, uh, a little preview of what's to come. We have a uh, listener question from Rourke on today's show. Wondering about uh, an advisor who's managing investments but not doing much else. Should it be uh, managing, should that advisor be managing more? Is this typical to kind of only manage one aspect or element of a financial uh, life or plan. We're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like on today's show, plus much more. But I th- I'm really excited our, for our main topic today. We're going to be a little educational on today's show, Scott. So normally we're, we're a little Wait, educational. aren't they always educational? Well, as I was going to say, normally we're a little educational and maybe a lot of opinion <laughs> fixed in there. So we're going to be a little more on the educational perspective, I think, on today's show. But I don't know. We'll see how it all transpires and shakes out. But it's a bit of a history lesson. We're going to learn about the U.S. financial Institutions. You know, we're we're recording this in the month of July, so that's part of the inspiration here. We're feeling patriotic, and uh, we're using that as some inspiration to learn about our nation's history. And since this is a financial show, we're going to look at some of the country's largest and oldest financial institutions. And learn a little bit about, you know, we kind of take these things for granted, I think, Scott. We hear words and, you know, they become buzzwords, right? The Federal Reserve is X, Y, and Z. The Mint is doing X, Y, and Z today. You know, you hear these things in the news, but do we really understand how these things were established, what they do, and how they maybe, I don't know, impact us on a day-to-day basis that we may not quite realize? I think that's some of the, the fun of this. And we have a little trivia for you along the way as well. So you ready for this? We'll kind of walk through some of these popular financial institutions. Let's do it. Okay. Well, let's start with the Federal Reserve, or for short, you hear it talked about as the Fed all the time. What really is the Fed? What does that mean?
1: Well, you know, the Federal Reserve, their whole job is to set and control the monetary policy for the uh, United States economy. So they kind of have a mandate. And what they try to do is they're trying to promote maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates in the U.S. economy. So basically their job is to create that safety and stability in the nation's economy. And they, they do that by, you know, doing different monetary policy. And the biggest thing people always hear of the Federal Reserve doing is the setting of interest rates. And, you know, they do that to promote growth and and stability in the economy. So in other words, if they set interest rates low, the whole idea is it's cheaper to borrow money, Gets more money in circulations, help promote growth in the economy, and get people back to work. So that's kind of what their their primary purpose is, Walter.
0: It's kind of interesting though, because isn't it like you, you think of capitalism? Yet there's this like you know grand hand sort of plucking the strings and and and, and just sort of guiding things along, making sure things on uh, stay on track. So it feels like the Fed's almost like a I don't know in some ways a safety net for the whole system. They're just trying to make sure that. You know, there's freedom within the bounds, but it, the Fed's trying to set those bounds a little bit. So you know, it's like the like in like in bowling, they're the, they're the bumpers on in the lanes. Like you you can operate anywhere you know along this path how you throw the ball, but we're going to kind of set these bumpers in different ways. Except in their example, like they can kind of move those bumpers left and right a little bit by controlling those rates. Is, is that sort of a good layman's absorption of what they do?
1: Yeah, basically, and, and you know what the. The feds actually, you know, they're decentralized in the 12 districts being here in Cleveland. We do have a, a Cleveland district of the fed and uh, they are all operate independently. So they're not in setting interest rates and things like that, but doing their own regional policy. And it's all overseen by the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. And uh, Jerome Powell, who's currently the, the Federal Reserve chairman, he's the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. But an interesting little piece of trivia, the Federal Reserve was created uh, and conceived back in 1910, all right? And it was created on a place we used to vacation as a family for several years. Is and that have Any right? idea where that is, Walter?
0: Uh, I'm going to guess, is it the uh, Cedar Point?
1: No, we do vacation there, though. Okay. That is is a good point. But- It's a good guess. (laughs) uh, Yes. It's Jekyll Island down off the coast of Georgia. Oh, okay. Uh, St. Simon's Island, Jekyll Island. So back in, when you go to Jekyll Island, there's a called the Jekyll Island Club, this big fancy resort. And there's a bunch of these, all these other houses that were used to be owned by wealthy people. Goodyear, J.P. Morgan- uh, the Vanderbilts, all these people had houses on this private island, and there was no road there. Apparently, you had to, like, take a boat to go there, hmm. and they had their little getaway there, the, their big resort, and then they each had their own little houses on it, right? So they, you know, a bunch of these wealthy and inf- influential people got together in, in 1910 and had a meeting and designed the whole plan for the Federal Reserve, and there's a book called The Creature of Jekyll Island. It's a big, hard read. I'm a horrible reader, so anything's hard for me to read. But it's a big book, small print, so it's very intimidating. But it talks about this. And some people believe that they kind of created it to kind of control the money of the United States, which in essence it kind of does. But that's just a little interesting backstory on how the Federal Reserve kind of got started.
0: That's pretty cool. I uh, did not know that, and um, pretty interesting to hear about that, starting down in Georgia like that. Also cool that uh, you guys are you know one of the 12 districts that now operate independently, mm-hmm. too. So a little feather yep. in the cap for Cleveland, which is pretty neat. Uh, yeah. so, so very cool. So bottom line with the Fed, um, let's relate it to everyday life. Since we do hear them often tied to interest rates, is that affecting us in an everyday life when we hear the Fed making an announcement on interest rates or something like that? Should we be really paying attention because it could impact us individually in, in retirement or as we prepare financially?
1: It absolutely does because you know I, I think one of the, the big things that a lot of people equate to interest rates are, are what you're going to earn in the bank. You know We all know that the Federal Reserve has kept interest rates unusually low for a very long time. And because those interest rates have been kept low and, and they've been trying to promote and grow the economy, but because they've kept them low, we've actually, we don't earn anything in the bank anymore, you know, 0.1% or something in, in a CD, six month CD or whatever. It's just the, the rates are extremely low. While when interest rates were higher, you know, you, you had much higher rates in the bank. And the other thing, you know, where to, where a lot of people are impacted by are mortgage rates, which they're a little bit more complicated but they're very influenced by the interest rates that are set by the federal reserve so that's why we've seen a whole bunch of refinancing and one of the reasons why the the rates were lower to start with was the housing crisis you know that we saw back in, in 2008 and they were even lower before that but you know that really helped to uh you know allow people to to get back on their feet a little bit
0: well, there you have it. The Fed. A little bit of background, a little bit of history for you and how the Fed operates. Interesting to learn some of these things. I'm sure we could c- keep going down that rabbit hole and talk about the Fed for an entire show. But uh, let's focus on a couple of other areas and departments, too. Uh, how about the mint? It's kind of funny to think that the money that's in circulation today, like we're still constantly printing, printing money and then and, and in specifically talking about coins uh, through the mint. And I don't know, it almost feels like the, the mint would be a dying breed these days.
1: Well, yeah, the mint only prints coins. People think that they print the paper money, but they don't. That's the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. So they, they're only printing coins. Their slogans actually connecting America through coins. So uh
0: <laughs> if you've ever heard an outdated slogan, that might be one.
1: <laughs> well that that's exactly it. And you know, yeah, you know, so their job is to only be, be printing coins and you know, there's, uh, you know, I believe there's maybe like five different spots around in the country. Philadelphia was the first one where they, they started printing back in the late 1700s, uh, San Francisco, Denver, West Point, And of course the granddaddy of them all at Fort Knox, but yeah, they've continued to print less and less coins. Well, make, they don't print them. They make them, you know, because of the, uh, you know everything's going much much more digitalized and you know covid really has
0: accelerated that too it seems like because i feel like i've seen a couple news stories over the last few months of coin shortages in certain areas people just don't have enough change for cash buyers anymore
1: yeah and that that's something i was going to bring up because basically what's happened through this whole coronavirus thing is a lot of businesses you know that are uh They're limiting the amount of cash you can use. They want you to pay with credit card, debit card, or Apple Pay with your phone or something like that. So, what has happened? There's only a limited number of coins in circulation. And when people aren't taking them to the grocery store and counting out their pennies and their quarters, that money is not getting circulated. In other words, it's staying in their wallet, it's staying in their home. And because of that, there's been less and less of it out there. So, you know, I know Kroger and Walmart, they're not accepting. I think they're limiting, or they're not accepting coins. There's a lot of small businesses that aren't taking cash at all, specifically for that because of that issue.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. You know what I think would be a neat idea? Now it would kind of, you know, maybe get rid of the mint. But you, have you ever bought anything from uh, from a restaurant or from an online service? And they this is pretty popular now. The grocery stores have been doing this for a while, where they say, "Hey, do you want to round up to the nearest dollar?" And Mm -hmm. donate your change essentially to, you know, XYZ organization. How neat would it be if we now it's neat that the organizations can set those different funds and those different things to help. But wouldn't it be cool if we could connect our own personal spending to a charity of our choice? So that you could say, hey, every time I, wherever I go, round up to the nearest dollar and donate it to the charity of my choice rather than, you know, to the charity of your choice as an organization. That'd be pretty cool if we could invent something like that.
1: Yeah, that's a super cool idea. I know that there's several banks on their apps. I think PNC may be one of them where you can round up purchases to, like, save money for yourself.
0: Yeah, I, we used to do that with the... Um, Gosh, I think it started with Wachovia, but then became Wells Fargo. Way to save. They had a way to save account. And then, yeah, they rounded up every dollar and put that into your Or no, I guess that was for every transaction you had, they put a dollar in the account. Some, somewhat similar, but a little bit different.
1: Yeah. So that, that's kind of, you could even have, if the banks would do that to, you know, say, hey, you can tie this to a charity. Yeah. And then, you know, when you spend $12.30, you can round up that $0.70 cents and it goes to the charity. Yeah,
0: I think that'd be pretty cool. I like the idea. That
1: is a cool idea. I like it. Uh,
0: One little piece of trivia I came across researching this for the Mint was that they also print uh, the—it's not just money, but they print the uh, congressional gold medals that citizens who make extraordinary contributions to— the country in various ways uh, get mm-hmm. bestowed upon them, so pretty cool. And not they're not created uh, equal. I mean, they're all unique in their creation, which is also kind of neat. Makes them very yeah, valuable. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, uh, the guy who won the uh, uh, won it recently included the guy from the Ice Bucket Challenge. Remember that from a couple of years ago? Really? Yeah, Steve Steve Gleason, who was kind of at the center of that ALS awareness movement.
1: Yeah, the ALS thing. Yeah,
0: the uh, inspiration for the beginning of that Ice Bucket Challenge. He was a, an, an awardee, and then. Remember that movie a couple years ago, Hidden Figures? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I love it. The three African-American women from that movie, not from the movie, but in the real life people, um, were awarded the same medal. So pretty cool. It's interesting to go, look on Wikipedia, go back and look at all the people who have won that award. Just kind of neat to kind of look at and see who's been honored throughout history with that one. Absolutely. Yeah. So there we go. The Mint, maybe a little bit outdated, it seems, in today's world, but still serves an important role overall. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange. All right. So I think everybody probably feels like they have a good grip of the New York Stock Exchange. I did not realize just how long it's been around.
1: Yeah, it's been around since the late 1700s. That's pretty it's, wild, isn't it? It is. It's, it's actually the same year the mint was made.
0: Is that right? Okay.
1: 1792. Mm-hmm.
0: Just not yeah. many things in life last that long, you know, last that long these days, so it's impressive to see something that's been, you know, an organization that has stood the test of time in that way.
1: And most times when you're looking at history of New York Stock Exchange, you look at charts, you know, they're going back into the early 1900s. Is, you know, really the, you know, most of the time that you you see performance of New York Stock Exchange and, you know, it, it's hard to equate over time. I mean, you know, they actually, it was started in 1972 and it was, there was 24 different stockbrokers that got together to get a central exchange to exchange the securities in the U S but it, then it got restructured and they renamed it in 1817 to the New York stock exchange. And you know, it was actually, it was the growth of the New York Stock Exchange is one of the things that helped New York City surpass Philadelphia as the U.S. financial center because Philly used to be, you know, the big financial hub of the United States.
0: And then here comes New York and takes that over and the, the rest is history there. Uh, that's right i'm curious now we don't just have the new york stock exchange and we don't have to dive into the details of all these other ones but what's the difference when you hear these things like new york stock exchange then you'll hear them described as indexes or Mm -hmm. markets you've got the s&p the nasdaq the dow jones the russell 2000 are all of those created equal are all those essentially the same thing or is there a difference between all these different little like nuances of what's an index versus a market versus an exchange
1: Well, they kind of get blended a little bit. The line kind of gets blurred between an index and a market. So for instance, some of the ones you mentioned, so the big exchanges are the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. Those are physical, well, the NASDAQ's a digital exchange, but they're places where securities are bought and sold. The S&P 500 is just an index So what that is, it's a compilation of 500 stocks. Some are traded on New York Stock Exchange. Some are traded on NASDAQ. And they are, you know, they just track the value of those 500 stocks. And that's the index. That's more of a broader indicator of the market compared to the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which you hear all the time. But the Dow is only 30 stocks. So a lot of the times you'll see that, like like yesterday. Okay, this, like I said, like Walter said, we're recording this in the July, but the NASDAQ was up like 200 points. And for a point in the day, the Dow was down. Because those 30 stocks, you know, one stock could be having a bad day and pull the Dow down. But, you know, the S&P, you know, that's 500 companies. So... And then you'll see the New York Stock Exchange and the Nasdaq kind of quoted, you know, as indexes. But they're, you know, that's basically all the stocks that are traded on those exchanges. So they kind of get blended a little bit, the markets and the indexes.
0: So the indexes uh, get a little bit more specific than the broader exchanges. Is that a good way to, instead of looking in, at in this s- pool of all the stocks, you're saying, okay, let's just now look at a portion of of all of those stocks with this. Index.
1: Yeah, I mean the S and P five hundred is supposed to be the five hundred largest companies, and they'll take people in and out of there. And the same with the Dow third, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It was supposed to be thirty companies, and they'll take people out. And then there's the Russell two thousand, you know, which is two thousand companies attracting that index. So yeah, you can make it as narrow or as broad as you want.
0: I think we should start one of our own. How about the the Scott and Walter? 27 or something like that or 92 or whatever you know pick pick a number we'll just start yeah, our own we index, could do it I mean, track our own just, stocks
1: yeah just start picking stuff
0: yeah we'll just start branding our own thing i think that'd be great anybody can create an index essentially there you go yeah
1: uh yeah.
0: okay good to understand a little bit of the relationship of that so that's helpful to know
1: yeah you know what so in order to be a member of the new york stock exchange you need to buy a seat or a license to be there. So I can't just so, walk
0: in and start trading on the New York Stock Exchange in no, my in see, my in my in my swim trunks.
1: <laughs> yeah, you see those guys down there in the coats and stuff, right. and they got different color coats and, and different badges, and you know they all have have licenses or seats on the New York Stock Exchange, and they were initially were sold when they started doing it for twenty five bucks years and years and years ago. It's not too bad. Uh, yeah, in nineteen twenty eight. The most expensive one sold for six hundred and twenty-five thousand. Ooh,
0: that's a lot for nineteen twenty-eight dollars.
1: Yeah. Well, that's six million dollars today, so it's huge money. But today, if you want to buy a license on, to trade on the New York Stock Exchange, it's fifty grand.
0: Okay, fifty
1: grand. So wow, it's yeah. So interesting that internet. the
0: seats to be in the exchange trade almost like stocks or have throughout history that's kind of wild.
1: Yeah, and brokerage firms will have seats, like for instance, you know, you have like TD Ameritrade, you know, they're going to have different seats in there and and uh you know, and then it's quite an interesting system the way they have it set up, but there's a limited amount of seats. It's not just like you know, Scott and Walter can go say, hey, I'm going to go buy a seat. Right. It just doesn't work that way.
0: might have to wait a little bit before you get your spot down there. Uh, yeah. Maybe a bit of a waiting right. list. All right. So we've covered three. Let's cover one more institution. The Federal Reserve, the Mint, and the New York Stock Exchange being the three so far, all pretty different things. And then I feel like when we get to this next one, the U.S. Department of Treasury is where it just kind of gets, I don't know, at least for me, Scott, kind of blurred back in like, okay, wouldn't the Treasury just kind of fit in with the Federal Reserve? They seem like they probably do similar things. And there is a lot of overlap sometimes between these systems. But what do we need to know about the U.S. Department of Treasury?
1: So the Treasury is kind of the mac daddy of all of them, because they are basically the accounting, the revenue collection, the money production. They do economic policy, not monetary policy, but economic policy. So they do more of... um as opposed to manipulating the currency like the Federal Reserve does, they do more things like implementing and and putting rules and regulations in as they are applied to money. You know, they they manage the the bonds, the the debt. You know, they run the IRS. So anybody that's ever written a check to the IRS, it's painful. You write that check to the U.S. Department of the Treasury. I think they still take it if you write Internal Revenue Service on it. But either way. That is, you know, that's run by the U.S. Department of the Treasury. So they do a lot of different stuff. They supervise the banks. They implement, you know, the uh, fiscal policy that comes from Congress. So they do a lot. They kind of do everything that, you know, is uh, except that that monetary policy that the Federal Reserve does. So they uh, quite the encompassing organization.
0: I liked it. The, the, uh, the granddaddy of them all or the, the Mac the, daddy. The Mac daddy. No, Mac the Mac Dad. daddy. Of Mac them daddy. That's right. So <laughs> cur- current secretary Steve Mnuchin is the, uh, the, the Mac daddy himself. Is that sort of the idea?
1: <laughs> yeah he is he's 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 mac daddy <laughs> oh that's
0: that's pretty good. um, so really, they help control so much of what happens in our economy. so the Department of Treasury, very big, just that one little piece of the monetary side is separated out a little bit, so kind of its own role of some checks and balances, I guess from an economic control standpoint
1: yeah, yeah I mean they uh they're in charge of printing the dollars, so they're in charge of the Department of the uh engraving and printing. So they're in charge of actually printing the physical dollars, and, uh, yeah, they, they kind of, you know, they're the Mac Daddy.
0: I like it. Uh, interesting, when we were doing research for this show, I uh, found this out about the IRS, since that falls under the umbrella of the U.S. Department of Treasury. The Civil War is uh, one of the things that gave rise to the IRS. President Lincoln signed a law to help pay for expenses related to the war, thus creating the nation's first income tax. And uh, you want to guess how much it was on that in that first time around?
1: Well, you know what? I... Am Not quite. I actually, I know the answer, but I don't want to necessarily ruin it for you. But I
0: think it was 3%. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. Uh, l- pretty low. Not bad. 3% tax on income between $600 and $10,000. And if you made more than 10000 it was a 5% tax on those incomes. Boy, it'd be nice to return to those tax rates, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> it absolutely would. I, uh, that probably paying my taxes, probably one of the most painful things I do throughout the year. That's right, you, you, you and all of us, my friend. Absolutely,
0: <laughs> don't think we're going to see a return to those levels anytime soon in the future.
1: But I think we're going the opposite direction. Most as we've likely, said many times on the Retirement Toolbox podcast.
0: That's right, exactly right. But it's interesting to see where it started as a uh, war response and then uh, has stuck around with us ever since then. So how about that? Well, there you have it, some history on the U.S. financial institutions. Hopefully you found that educational and kind of cool. I liked hearing about some of that trivia. I thought it gives some good perspective of where, you know, some of these things got started and how they impact our lives a little bit in today's scale as well. Well, it's time to get to know Scott a little bit better on today's show. Getting to know you time. (music) It's getting to know you time. All right, Scott. My fun question for you on this episode: What fictional character would you most like to hang out with in real life?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I I have to go with uh, James Bond. James the Bond, super, really? Okay. The super cool guy. I mean, come on. I mean, what? He, he lives the ultimate life. He just goes and hangs around at super, you know, wealthy places and. You know he can just kick anybody's butt whenever he needs to. <laughs> I mean, what kind of what better guy to have have your back? Yeah, I mean uh, th- that'd be cool. Go on some missions with them. Hey, we're going to stop the evil Doctor No. I'm like, okay, cool, let's go. You know that that <laughs> that'd be fun. James Bond isn't like funny though, is he?
0: I mean, he's kind of more. Yeah. It's uh, kind of straight laced. like would it be really fun to hang out with him? I mean, it'd be cool to do some of those adventures, but
1: I mean he looks like that in the movies, but I think in real life he's uh, so in he's in between so all the action much... scenes, you yeah. think
0: he's he's a pretty I mean, chill guy
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I like it. I mean that's not a bad answer by any means james James Bond would certainly be you know interesting to hang around with in real life um
1: who who would yours be?
0: Gosh, I don't know. That's a really tough question because fictional character, I mean, that's just such a vast library of fictional Mm -hmm. characters to choose from. I'm going to have to go with eh, probably just some recency bias here, but I would probably go with Dwight from The Office. I don't know. He just has me rolling. Uh, that that whole show, just everything he does, is is funny and ridiculous. So I think just seeing those antics in real life would be would be hysterical. So yeah, I'd pick you, out. I'd pick Dwight.
1: Yeah, I go for adventure. You go for funny.
0: Yeah, I go for go for funny and humor. Uh, but I like it. Uh, we can we can blend the two. We'll do a couple of days with Dwight and a few days with James Bond, and we'll be in good shape. Absolutely. Very cool. All right, time to uh, answer one of your questions and get some more great financial guidance and advice from Scott. Let's open up the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. All right, today's question comes to us from Rourke. By the way, if you want to submit a question, you can do that by going to skyboxasset.com and submit your questions online. Rourke from Rourke says, my financial advisor seems to do a good job of managing my investments as far as I can tell. But we never talk about other things like social security or life insurance or legacy plans which are all things i feel that i should be getting advice on is this typical
1: you know what rourke this is very typical and it's a good question you bring up because when you're looking to work with somebody to manage your investments it's not just your investments it's really your whole financial life Because a lot of other things, social security, life insurance, tax planning, estate planning, all those things intermingle with the investments. So if you're working with somebody that's maybe like a stockbroker or a money manager or just doing the investment portion of it, you're really missing out on the planning. Though the investment part is very important, I've always been of the opinion that you need to work with somebody that's a fiduciary, that's on your side not trying to generate commissions or doing anything like that and developing a plan and a strategy together to get you to where you need to go. So most definitely, I think that you should work with someone that's a fiduciary that's going to create a financial plan for you. Like when I work with with, with people, I create the worry-free retirement blueprint. So we're going to take a look at not only the investments and we manage and we run models and do equities and ETFs and and we do the investment portion of it, but also taking a look at social security, taking a look at the risk planning and the life insurance, long-term care, estate planning, taxes, you know, anybody that listens to the show knows I'm a, you know, I'm a big proponent of doing tax planning to try to minimize our taxes in, in, in retirement. So my opinion would be that you should try to find somebody else that would be able to handle that for you. And if you want to, uh, go to www.talktoscott.net, actually, talktoscott.com. My apologies. Schedule a 15-minute phone call with me, and I'll be more than happy to talk about your situation see if we can help you, Rourke.
0: It's like you had a realization that uh, there's no way I actually have the .com of that, but uh, I had to settle for the .net. No, wait. Actually, I did get (laughs) talktoscott.com.
1: I know they they value that. They said it's worth like a couple thousand dollars.
0: Is that right? Very cool. Yeah. You actually inspired yeah. me when we first started doing this show. I went and got a uh, talktowalt.com. <laughs> or or mine like might, mine might be speakwithwalt. I can't rem- I can't actually remember which one it is, but <laughs> it's, it's one of those. Um, but
1: the .coms are valuable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are definitely. And it's kind of funny when you buy one for like $10 and then immediately they're like, this is a great buy. It's now valued at 800 or or $1,000. You're like, wow, can I just sell it right back to you and get that profit? That'd be great. Thanks for telling me what it's valued at.
1: <laughs> the secret is to, to get a buyer.
0: That's right. You got to get that buyer. Uh, I once had a guy tell me that he was offered $50,000 for a domain that he bought. And he said, no, I'm going to hold on to it because uh, I think it'll be worth millions one day. And as far as I still know, he's still holding on to it. But uh, hmm. I, I thought that w- that took some guts to not sell an $8 domain name for $50,000 when offered, if he was being truthful about that offer, which that's suspect. But
1: well, yeah, well, you, you have to, you know, the people that if you had a name, like, you know, you had the hindsight to buy Netflix.com or something. I mean, you could sell that for big money. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting. I've always I I went through and I tried to like find could I one the simplest things you can buy like a dot com <laughs> like how easy of a domain name can you get? But it seems like most of those things have been uh been bought up now. You have to get really obscure when you're looking for most web domains nowadays. But yeah, pr- pretty interesting to look at what the prices are of some of those. But yes, uh, talktoscott.com, dot com. Back to the point: if you need to answer some questions about your financial life want to get the full thing put in order. If you've got a question that's kind of like Rourke, where it's like, hey, I have I feel like I've got this one part of my fin- financial life nailed down, but what about these other you know, 10, 15 moving parts that I've got to keep my eye on? How can all of this come together cohesively? Well, that's what Scott does each and every day in the office for his clients. So if you want to talk to him a little bit more about that and uh, you know establishing that financial plan Getting that in place, you can do that by going to skyboxasset.com, learning more about us on the website there, or schedule that time to talk with Scott directly, talktoscott.com. And you can always call 888-742-0111 to get in touch. And we'll put all of that contact info in the description of today's show so it's easy for you to find and use. Well, Scott, this was a fun one. Thanks for filling us in on uh, this great information. Enjoyed it and looking forward to another talk with you again next time.
1: You got it, Walter. I appreciate it.
0: Take care, my friend. That's Scott Searles. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us and we'll look forward to talking to you next time right back here on The Retirement Toolbox.